0: Cameron DeVazier and I'm Mark Howard and this is Talking Points. We are now in our second week of our second quarter. That's right. And the title <clears throat> yeah. of this quarterly is called The Promise, God's Everlasting Covenant. An entire study for a fourth of the year about the covenant relation we have with God and how he established it and all points in between. So it's a great lesson and this week is entitled, let me get the right lesson out here, uh, covenant Primer. What does that mean, Pastor Howard? What's a Covenant Primer?
1: Well, a Primer's basic teaching instructions 101. Okay. Covenants 101. So this is the elementary level
0: it. Covenant yes. Talk today.
1: What is a Covenant at its core?
0: Okay, very simple, so the straightforward uh, uh, straightforward lesson. And uh, before we get into that, we're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to look at our three talking points specifically. Yes. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study from your word and an important concept of the covenant, your relationship with us, this plan of salvation and what role we have in it. Please, Lord, help us to see your word clearly today. Help our discussions to be edifying and help the Sabbath school to be a blessing to all those involved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Pastor Howard, why don't you introduce and walk okay, us through Okay, well,
1: bit. as you've already mentioned, this week's lesson is a primer, an introduction to covenant speak, right? Covenant language and concepts. And so our talking points this week are, number one, a covenant takes two. And okay. we actually see that Sunday through Thursday. <laughs> so, In fact, I could probably include Sabbath through Friday. because right, To whole be clear,
0: week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Almost every day of this week is inside of that one point. Because every day talks
1: about a, 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 either an introduction or a sample covenant, which okay. is going to exemplify that point. Okay. So, point so that's number the one, a covenant one. takes two. All right. Point number two is that God's salvation covenant is all inclusive and everlasting. Okay. Um, there are other covenants that God made in Scripture, but all of them, in essence, have uh, that element of the salvation. You know, God's Mm -hmm. great plan of salvation is what this is all about. And our quarter, God's everlasting covenant, the promise. Right. And
0: notice it's singular, too. It's not many covenants. It's the one.
1: So we're going to see that as well. Point number two, God's salvation covenant is all inclusive and everlasting.
0: And that comes from Monday and Tuesday. So
1: yes, primarily Monday and Tuesday, we're drawing that from. And then number three, our obedience is the only variable in the covenant.
0: No, that's in a Covenant agreement. Yes,
1: and that's Sunday through Friday. <laughs> okay. I mean, again, I conclude Sabbath because of the introductory level, right. n- nature of it. But there's literally
0: things pulled from the entire weeks here. Exactly, without a because book. the yeah. whole week is covenant primer. There you go. Okay. Well, let's just go right back then to number mm-hmm. one. Then a covenant takes. Well, introducing. Two. Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: Just you know, Sabbath afternoon introduces the concept. Uh, of this this whole idea of covenants, and I've summarized it by saying this week's lesson is an overview of the Salvation Covenant, the Everlasting Covenant. Again, that language is taken from Scripture. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. The Everlasting Covenant, as manifested in the covenants made with Noah, Abram, and Israel. And so in all of those covenants, there are different nuances, but the end result is the same. They're all
0: branches of the same covenantal tree there. Yes. Okay. So... Are we ready to talk point number one, then? Yes. A covenant takes two. The very nature of a covenant requires two parties. Is that essentially it?
1: That's it. So the, the covenant basics on Sunday mentioned the Hebrew word berith, and it says it can be translated as a testament or last will. Um it has come to mean that which bound two parties together. It's just a little wordy. It's just basically saying, which it highlights in the teacher's notes actually, that a covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. Okay. And much like a contract, when you enter into contract, if I, if I get a loan for a house mm-hmm. or a car, I agree to pay X amount of dollars over a certain period of time at such and such a rate of interest. Right. They agree to give me the money If I will pay it back on those terms. So we each have a side in terms. Mm -hmm. It's agreement between both of us that I'll fulfill my terms if you fulfill your terms and vice versa.
0: Okay, so there's stipulations and requirements on both ends of the covenant. A
1: binding agreement. It's not a casual agreement, which we're going to see in a minute. It's a binding agreement between two parties.
0: Okay. Now, one day, paragraph three, there was a sentence that particularly caught your eye there. Um, Yes. Um, Speaking to the same issue about the well Well, in Monday,
1: so what we do is Sunday's lesson introduces the concept of covenants, and then we see sample covenants in the Bible. The covenant with Noah on Monday, the covenant with Abram on Tuesday, the covenant with Moses and Israel, in essence, on Wednesday, and the new covenant with, according to Scripture, the house of Israel and the house of Judah on Thursday. So all of these sample covenants. So Monday is highlighting this covenant with Noah, okay. and it makes the point... That uh, in the last paragraph on Monday's lesson, God said he would make a covenant with Noah. The word itself implies an intention to honor what one says one will do. We just highlighted that in terms of human covenants. It is not just some whimsical statement. The word itself comes loaded with commitment. Mm. Now, the lesson here doesn't go into that. But when you do some study on covenants, for example, I went to Genesis chapter six, where the Lord says, but with thee, I will establish my covenant. Mm -hmm. And when scholars from our faith and other faiths read that, their mind is drawn to Genesis 15, where you have the first actual process of a covenant being entered into where God, you know, Noah, uh, Noah. Abram asked God, "How am I going to know that you're going to give me the child that you promised? And God says, mm-hmm. you what I want you to do, and I want to take this heifer, and we're going to cut it in half, and you're going to walk in between the pieces of it." Right. Which I remember as a first, as a new Christian, the first time I read that, I thought this is what totally a, what bizarre, a weird thing. But I've come to understand, if you do any study on this, that that was in those days a very customary way. Of making a covenant type of agreement, and you could yeah. ask, that's kind of over the top. Yeah. But the idea, in fact, Adam Clark, commenting on the Genesis 15 experience, makes this point. He says each each party in the covenant agreed, if they broke their engagements, to submit to the punishment of being cut asunder, cut in two, mm-hmm. like those pieces, which was an ancient mode of punishment. And then he cites matthew 24 51 mm-hmm. where jesus says that the those who uh, are uh, he mentions those who will be cut in two and given their portion with the hypocrites mm. and you, you know I re- i've read that before and i never thought of What's actual being yeah. cut in two but this is how judgments were handed out in uh, handled in bible times you've got uh, matthew 24 51 similarly in luke 12 46 we know isaiah was sawed in two in mm. Hebrews eleven, it's referred to as those who were sawn asunder, but I've never thought of it in terms of that was a penalty, a punishment, a civil punishment. Um, Interesting,
0: yeah. So, uh, so I've always understood like the Genesis fifteen thing, which is again, that's not saying that God only had a covenant and gen- until Genesis fifteen. Clearly, there's ge- covenant related language and things going right. back to Noah and whatnot. But that's the it's the first formal setting where you actually yes. have the the, the the contractual ceremony, you know. And I've always understood it to be, and I think rightly so, that may if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may what happen to these poor animals That's happen exactly. to me, right? They, we're laying out not only the, the good things of what's going to happen when we accomplish, but also the penalties if we don't. That's right. And by the way, speaking of that loan, whenever they say, all right, I'll give to this 5%, they also have a little penalty sheet <laughs> that says, right. and if you don't, here's what's going to happen to That's you. That's right. So you go in knowing that it's not just upside. There's also... Fortunately, you're not getting cut cut asunder. No, no, they, they've made that illegal now, I think, at least. <laughs> in our, but clearly, it's, it's not just as the lesson brings out, a casual thing That's or right. whimsical, as the lesson said. It is
1: a very serious very serious it's opinion. solemn it's life and death and yeah. so as the lesson says on monday is the word itself comes loaded with commitment mm-hmm. this has to do with I'm uh, very, uh, very committed to making this take place on both sides.
0: Okay. Now, let's go to that both-sided thing mm-hmm. and look at Noah, right? Okay. Uh, because the question is asked, based on Monday's lesson, yeah. was the covenant with Noah just one-sided? I mean, Well, was...
1: the, the interesting thing is the lesson asked that question Okay. on Monday. First question, it says, was the covenant with Noah just one-sided? Remember the idea of the covenant implies more than one party, etc. Right. And then in the paragraph right below that, which is the second paragraph on the page, it says, God tells Noah that there is going to be a flood and the world will be destroyed. But God makes a deal with him in which he promises to save Noah and his family. Okay. Thus, the stakes were quite high because if God did not uphold his end of the promise, then no matter what Noah did, he would be wiped out with the rest of the world. Now, that's a powerful statement. And, and, it's, and it's true. Tr- yep. Absolutely true. But I got to think of when I read it, in the same way if noah didn't end up his so let's say god and you know held up his you know i'm going to save you etc but god saved him through the ark that he told him to build and if noah's like no i'm not building that yeah. Guess what? <laughs> the well, same it result. It was did.
0: interesting because the question is, was the covenant with Noah just one-sided? And then right. the paragraph goes on to explain. Kind if of, God of yes. Did this, God did this. <laughs> it's like, well, it kind of makes it sound like a yes. But I think it's kind of coming from the, maybe we assume that it's all just Noah doing stuff. But he's saying, no, no, God did stuff. Right. But at the same time, it's not just God doing stuff. It's Noah doing. There's reciprocity. There's there's That's dual. Right. And,
1: and all of this is just speaking to the reality that a covenant takes too. Yes, it is. It is a two-sided agreement and binding on both parts. Um, Now that goes on, uh, in our notes I've highlighted that one of the things a lesson tries to point out is in the biblical use of the word covenant, there's an implied relationship between the parties in the agreement. Not that, I mean, I would have a relationship in anybody in a a covenant with or a loan with or whatever, loan officer, but this implies a personal relationship. And of course, the lesson's point, and I've seen that in the first and in this lesson, I think lessons to come, that... The covenant God made with His people, the salvation covenant, was intended to be a personal relationship He wanted to have. That was God's desire mm-hmm. was to have a personal relationship with Adam before sin, right. and then after sin to restore that personal and, and relationship. I get then viewers probably <laughs> pick up on this. I get tired of relationship speak because it's so ubiquitous. There are many kinds of relationships. Everybody in this world has relationships, but not every relationship you have is a good one. I guarantee that.
0: Or it's also not an intimate one, or it's not a right. familial one. It's, so we talk it's,
1: about, you know, it's what matters is we have a relationship with God. No, that's not all that matters because Satan has a relationship with God. Right. Pastor O'Phil, and I have brought this up before, Pastor Richard O'Phil used to say, Satan has a relationship with God. He hates him. Yeah, <laughs> It's still a relationship. Yes. So when we speak about the relationship God wants to have, we're talking about a committed Relationship right. and all of that—that that, uh, loaded with commitment talk we mm-hmm. had before—is inherent in yes. this. Yeah.
0: Okay, so we got the idea that it takes two parties involved, and that uh, in the notes here it says the biblical covenant involved three basic elements. Can yes. you walk us through what that actually? means? Well,
1: now Sunday highlights this in paragraphs two and three about these these three elements, and you know it ta- asks us how it fits in our lives and whatever else. But just, I've, I've rephrased it to these three areas. Um, the three basic elements involved in the biblical covenant. Number one, God's promises to save man. And mm-hmm. even there, save, and we're going to see this in a minute, um, God's intention to, to save, sometimes we act like save is, is you know, when I come to Christ, and I'm justified, my sins are forgiven, like mm-hmm. it's all done. But it's not all done. Jesus is still working in the heavenly sanctuary because his intention, Mm. God's intention, is not just to uh, see that we're forgiven for our sins, Mm. but to restore humanity to what he was before sin. Mm. And so God's promises in the covenant are not just to... Forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. As John says, so it's
0: just so we don't want to read too, into save almost a, an evangelical once saved right. say, I got saved and and it's that what was the, the, the fr-
1: restoration of humanity.
0: The, the friend who was mentioning about the, the answer he would give to Are you saved?
1: Oh yeah, Roger the late Roger Kuhn used to say, you know, people would ask him, evangelicals would say, brother, are you saved? And he'd say, well, I I have three answers for that. Number one, I am. I have been saved. Past tense. ...from the penalty of sin through Christ's death on the cross. Mm -hmm. I am presently being saved from the power of sin in my life by the living Christ. Mm. And I will yet be saved, future, from the presence of sin in this uh, earth when God comes, when Christ comes again, Mm. and the earth is made new. Mm. So you've got that full, broad picture of that restoration that God wants to give.
0: There you go. Okay, so that was number one.
1: So, number one... Uh, first element, basic element in, a, in the biblical covenant, God's promises to stay, save man, to restore humanity. Number two, man's obligation to render obedience to God mm-hmm. was inclusive in, in some form in every one of these covenants. And then finally, because we know that man doesn't have of himself the, the ability to render to that, that right. obedience, God's offer of grace through faith in Christ as the means by which fallen man could meet his obligation. That's
0: right. and that Number three is the only thing that makes the number two work. He's that's got an exactly empowering right. g- grace actually gives me to do the fulfilling my part right. of covenant. So that's a critical feature of a covenant there. So those are all kind of an overview on this on covenants. And again, this is covenants like 101, a covenant primer, right? right? Let's go a little deeper. Number two, God's salvation covenant is all-inclusive and everlasting. Um, taken from Monday and Tuesday's lesson. What does that mean? What does that mean, God's salvation? Well, why don't just, you look at, uh, why don't you read Genesis six 18? I'll be happy to do that. Genesis chapter 6, verse 18 reads, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you.
1: Okay, now this is interesting, and, and of course... We're jumping through the lesson because all week you have this example of be- covenant between, between God and Noah, covenant, covenant between God and Abraham, covenant between God and Moses and mm-hmm. Israel, etc. This was speaking to Noah. And it's interesting that the Lord says, I will establish with you my covenant. Now, the whole implication is I have this covenant, my covenant yeah. that I've already made. It
0: already exists. Yeah.
1: And, and again, there can't be just one. There's a covenant takes two. So I've mm-hmm. made with humanity That, Noah, I want to reestablish with you. The Mm -hmm. implication is that God had already had a a covenant, which he did, and we've already looked at that, with Mm. Adam and Eve in Eden, when he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, he told the serpent that, Mm -hmm. between thy seed and her seed, we've looked at that. That was that first covenant promise. When God comes to Noah, he's not establishing something new. He wants to establish his covenant. With so humanity if the, if with the
0: covenant, when we're, we hear God talking about my covenant with you, if he's talking about the big picture plan of redemption, that restoration, mm-hmm. it can't be established now with Noah, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years after. You know, it had to start. In fact, we're told <laughs> before right. sin even entered, there was a savior, right? This plan of redemption has been from everlasting. Right. So it's God's eternal covenant. He's just going to make an extension of it to Noah
1: now. Right, and you'll see nuances. Obviously, he didn't ask Adam to build an ark. Sure. Noah's going to build an ark. Then later he tells Noah he's established with him an everlasting covenant, and the rainbow's a sign of that. And then right. he say, like, well, that's a whole different thing from what God did with Abram. No, it's not. Exactly. It's, the elements are, some elements are different, but it's still the it's same It's different applications of purpose. the same covenant. So when we come to Abram, The Bible highlights how in Genesis 12, when God makes his initial covenant with Abram, calls him out from the land of Ur, and then again from Haran to go further in his experience, which is a fascinating story. He says in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not Mm -hmm. just all the Jews, Mm -hmm. all the families. And the lesson brings out Galatians chapter 3,
0: That's handy. Genesis in the Old Testament, Galatians Mm -hmm. in the New Testament. Right.
1: And the Apostle Paul makes direct application of this passage to the salvation of the Gentiles. You have that Galatians 3,
0: verse 6. I do have 3, verse 6. 6 through 9, I believe. Sure. Um, Because I'm fumbling for it. Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, all the, justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth, sh- all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham.
1: Now, I used to get tripped up on that, again, as a new Christian. It doesn't say by believing in Abraham,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, it says they're
1: blessed with.
0: along with with believing believing
1: Abraham. Abraham. So they believe like he believed, and they're blessed like he was blessed because they believe like he believed. So the
0: promise that was given all the way back in Genesis 12 was intended for the whole planet. It just started there with Abraham. For those who believe. Right, for the belief.
1: And clearly the Apostle Paul says that foretold God's intention to save the Gentiles.
0: Mm -hmm. The
1: scripture... Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, so well. Interestingly,
0: sh- Mark, think about it too. It's not just like, okay, He's going to save all Jews and believing Gentiles, right? Because there are Jews who are excluded from that promise if they exactly, don't believe, right. right? So remember how Jesus would talk about, I can, you know, raise up children of Abraham from these stones. It's like it's not like the idea is, all right, there's a genetic salvation, and then there's the proclamation for those who believe. For all humanity, Jew or Gentile, salvation is by faith. Alone. That's right. Beautiful.
1: And so Romans 4, I just included this. Romans 4 is a parallel passage. Verse 13 says, For the promise that he, Abram, would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Mm -hmm. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise... ...might be sure to all the seed, notice who that includes, not only to those who are of the law, and i speaking specifically of Jews here, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So now here Mm. he's applying, much as in Galatians, that the promise, the covenant promise, was to all who believe in the mm. same way Abram believed or Abraham believed.
0: And that was a, fa- we don't have time to get into that, mm-hmm. but that was a foundational understanding in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, especially in the New Testament church when they're dealing with the gospel going right. to the world outside of Judaism. There there's idea. Well there's Jewish salvation. Then you got it for the gentiles. Right. Like, no no no. There's one for all of us because of this biblical foundation all the way back in the covenants. Sure. Yeah. And when they would complain because they felt like Messiah
1: hasn't come to establish us as a kingdom yet, the promises of God have failed. He says, "The promises of God failed?" No, they're still active. They're just mm. active to the believers and not to you guys. You know. Mm-hmm. So it was like
0: There's stuff. all
1: that through the passages of the New Testament. The Mm -hmm. point here, though, talking point number two, is that God's salvation covenant is all-inclusive and everlasting. You do a search on that term, everlasting covenant, or everlasting along with covenants. I gave a few examples. We just finished Isaiah. So Isaiah 55, verse 3, and 61, verse 8, both speak of an everlasting covenant God will make his people. Um, Jeremiah 32, 40. There are other passages. Uh, Revelation 14, the everlasting gospel. Mm. It's the same idea, point being that the covenant, salvation covenant, is not just for one group of people at one time in history. It's mm. it's for everyone who believes.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with our time remaining, we need to hit number three if we're ready to move uh, here. I,
1: let me just say one other thing about sure. that, just to flesh it out a little bit more. So when we talk new covenant... Uh, specifically, there are a lot of Christians who who believe that the New Covenant was made with a specific group of people at a specific time, and it's limited. So it's Gentiles, believers after the cross, etc., mm. when in reality the New Covenant is the same as the Everlasting Covenant. These others, it's the Salvation Covenant, and it's made for people of all time Mm. in the same way as it ever was to those who believe. So it's such a new
0: covenant. It's a renewed covenant. It's the same thing. And we'll see
1: that we'll, of course, study that further as we go.
0: Okay, let's go to talking point number three. Our obedience is the only variable in the covenant taken from, again, Sunday through Friday. So this is a theme woven through the whole week's lessons.
1: Because it's one of, you remember, one of the elements, the three elements in the covenants were God's promises to man, man's obligation to obey God, Mm -hmm. and then God's grace to help man obey God.
0: So this is zoning in on that second and third element there about the obligation of obedience. And let me tell you, Mark, I can tell you what it's going to sound (laughs) like to people. I already know Obedience is required. That is the definition of legalism, right? (laughs) There are
1: times when I choose to word a talking point very specifically so that it will maybe stir up the good ire of the saints.
0: He's an instigator, in a troublemaker. Of,
1: because I could have said our faith is the only variable. See,
0: now that sounds good.
1: And it, and it is saying nothing different from what this <laughs> says. But we need a primer mm. on obedience. Come on now. Because we do this Catholic thing oh. as if there's faith and obedience. Instead of a faith that obeys. Mercy. Okay? So when we look at... So fleshing this out just a little bit. First of all, our works can't save us. Amen. We're clear.
0: (laughs) It needs to be said.
1: And the lesson highlights that. It goes over the idea... Uh, Looking at Exodus chapter 19, Mm -hmm. even before the giving of the Ten Commandments, if you look at Exodus 19, 3-5, why don't you read that?
0: Sure, it says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant... Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine.
1: Okay, so the point is made and well made, that God first delivered the people from slavery, right, and then He asked them to obey Him, right. Okay, and then again in the in the giving of the commandments, the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, and this is included actually in the commandments, in the commandments when the right? quotes start. God spoke all these words, saying, quote, "I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage." You shall have no other gods before and me, And then he Set goes him. on with the So he starts as the deliverer. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the lesson points that out. But my challenge is, in fact, why don't you read what, what, what it says on Wednesday. That's what the I'm The last looking up paragraph here. on Wednesday's lesson.
0: It's, it's a quotation from the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, volume 1, page 602. It says, note the order here. The Lord first saves Israel, then gives them his law to keep. And this is uh, italics included here, in at least in the lesson study, right? So the emphasis, the order here is that the Lord first saves Israel, then he gives them a the law to keep. Mm-hmm. So saving predi- uh, is a prerequisite to keeping. The same order is true under the gospel. Christ first saves us from sin, then lives out his law within us. So... Clearly Mark, salvation is apart from obedience. Obedience right. has nothing to do with salvation. Right. Salvation is saves its own thing, right?
1: And then asks us to obey. The challenge with that is, first of all, what is salvation? We throw that word around. We are saved from what? Sin. The Bible says we're <laughs> saved from sin. What is sin? It's transgression it's breaking of the God's law. law. So how can I be saved from breaking God's law and then asked to obey? Yeah. Like I'm not going to have to obey. I'm saved first salvation includes being brought in harmony with the law of god. Now yes. that's not and, and I know that we're going to have to spend more time this quarter talking about this.
0: Well but the, or that or you're going to answer all the emails. Salvation
1: <laughs> is both an act and a process. Mm. So just as I mentioned Elder Kuhn had said, mm. you know, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. When we accept Christ, we're saved from the penalty of sin. It no longer hangs mm. over our head. We're we're forgiven and we're cleansed by Christ. But then there's a process By which he works to bring us our characters into harmony with Mm -hmm. with the law of heaven. The law of heaven, because we're supposed to live there. (laughs) That's true. And so we're gonna. And so there's a the work that Jesus is doing presently, and this has become a source of a lot of confusion for Seventh Day Adventists. Mm. Like, why is the sanctuary and Christ's high priestly ministry important? Well, if we're all saved, past tense, and it's all done, it isn't important. Mm. So it just confuses the issue. So while we can have confidence in Christ for salvation and we're forgiven for our sins, yet he's still doing a work, and there is a, th- that work of redemption that we talked about when we started out here, of restoring humanity, is still going on. Mm. And Jesus is finishing that work in the sanctuary above. So mm. salvation is both an act and a process. Our obedience is not something that we add into the equation. It's the fruit of what Jesus is doing.
0: So there's a a direct link between the two. It's not like salvation is its own thing, its own process, its own action. And then after that's taken care of, now we're going to enter into, I'm going to bring up a new topic called obedience in the law. There's a whole separate thing that they're intertwined together somehow.
1: Right. We don't, we can't and don't, we don't and can't, however you want to put it, (laughs) obey God that... Our obedience is because of the work that the Lord is doing in us that begins to transform us. Sister White calls it the fruit of faith. Why don't you read
0: that? In Steps of Christ, page 61, we do not earn salvation by our obedience. Amen. For salvation is the free gift of God to be received by faith. But... Obedience is the fruit of faith.
1: And notice, even in writing Steps to Christ some hundred plus years ago, Ellen White found it necessary to put that butt in there. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, we understand we're not saved by obedience, but don't...
0: Downplay this obedience. Ob- obedience, yeah.
1: Because obedience is the fruit of faith. And in another place, one of my favorite statements, speaking of Abraham. Now, Abraham is one of the examples of the covenant. And mm-hmm. Abraham's un- uh, uh, his unquestioning obedience, and Lesson actually highlights that in Thursday's quarterly, or Tuesday's quarterly. I'm not going to read it for sake of time, but Patriarchs and Prophets 126, paragraph 2 says, Abraham's unquestioning obedience is one of the most striking evidences of faith mm. to be found in all the Bible. So the point is that faith is not, it's not faith plus works, it's a faith that works, mm-hmm. faith is Ex- manifested in obedience, right. and so we were talking beforehand if I were to say you know okay obe- our obedience is the only variable in the in the covenant. if I were to say instead that what's important is that god 's people exercise faith, that sounds so much better but what is what does it look like when we exercise faith mm-hmm. obedience You're right so obedience we've made it this bad thing, but it is true obedience is a um an outworking of faith and well, an expression
0: I think of faith. This is another thing we've talked about before and probably talk about again. But one of the things that I've noticed is that there is a continual, both on the salvation end of things and the sin end of things, a passivity in our Christian experience yes. now where you ask people about sin. Oh, yes, I'm a victim of sin, a society of sin, just a part of it. But friends for every one of us according to scripture all have sinned we are culprits in the sin problem as well that's right so we have a, we are passive in the fact that we're victims But we're also the perpetrators of the sin. We're we're the criminals. So there's a two-parted thing with this. And the same is true with salvation. Are we recipients of God's grace? Absolutely. But do we have an active part to play that he is imposed upon? Yes, we have to have participation with it. So it's not like my participation is causing my salvation, but it's definitely a condition of it. It's definitely a part of it. And so, you know, Sister Sister White has to bring that out. We don't earn it by this, but you're not going to have it without it either.
1: That's right. Thursday goes into the new covenant and again just building on the same elements and God's promises to his people again a binding agreement there's an obedience required but God makes it clear that it's his power that they're going to obey by in fact in the covenant given at Sinai the sacrificial system was attached to that covenant a lot of people overlook that we look at the people's promises to obey but we don't look at and we're going to look at this in future lessons but we often miss the fact that what did all those sacrifices have to do with the covenant Hmm. that was pointing forward to Christ and his sacrifice, which was going to be the means by which they would fulfill their end. Mm -hmm. Now, the lesson brings out at the bottom of Thursday, last paragraph, uh, it says halfway through, I'll start in the beginning. In Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, one can see the elements of both grace and obedience, just as in the earlier covenants. God will forgive their sins, and God will enter into relationship with them, and God will bestow his grace in their lives. Now, one of the things I have to interject here is, Early in the quarterly lesson, they want to make this point that the covenants are not one-sided, and yet when you read through the lesson, they're one-sided. God does this, God does it, God does everything, and we do nothing. And as much as it doesn't spell that out, my concern is I've run in, as a pastor in practical sense, run into many Christians, who, get, who come away with the idea that for them to put forth any energy or effort in their Christian life would be wrong, legalistic works, mm-hmm. and as a result, they don't, and then as a result, they fail because you're never going to succeed <laughs> right. if you don't They're put not energy having that full
0: Christian life, because yeah.
1: you're not ex- exercising your faith. So the lesson goes on. As a result, the people simply obey him, not in some rote, mechanical way, But purely because they want to know him, because they love him, because they want to serve him. Now, that's not a bad point altogether. But the problem is it implies that there are a lot of people that simply go through the motions in a mechanical way. And true obedience is just because you're just going to want to do it. And that's not true from Scripture. Jesus Mm. said that if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and Mm. take up his cross daily. Now, listen. If we just naturally want to when we understand the covenants and God's love and righteousness by faith and we just naturally want to obey Him, where's the denial daily? Mm. It wouldn't be there. And so as much in fact, there's a great statement here. Let's look at that.: Sure. Um, you want to read that? Christ's sure. object lessons 97.
0: says the man who attempts to keep the commandments of God from a sense of obligation merely because he's required to do so will never enter into the joy of obedience. He does not obey. That's an important point. That's not obedience. Right. So the
1: rote, mechanical, whatever, it's
0: that's not obedience. It's something else, but it's not obedience. When the requirements of God are accounted a burden because they cut across human inclination, we may know that the life is not a Christian life. True obedience is the outworking of a principle within. It springs from the love of righteousness, the love of the law of God. The essence of all righteousness is loyalty to our Redeemer. This will lead us to do right because it is right, because right doing is pleasing to God.
1: I know you have a thought on that, but I want to interject one point here. When the requirements of God are counted a burden because they cut across human inclination. Notice what she doesn't say. When the requirements of God cut across the human human inclination, we may know the life is not a Christian life. She doesn't Mm. say that. Mm. In other words, because we are carnal, the requirements of God will always cut across our fallen nature. That's not the evidence that something was going wrong. When the requirements of God are counted a burden because they cut across. Right. In other words, when my will comes in conflict with Christ's will and I see that His way is not my way and I need to yield my way, as a Christian, I willingly choose to do it. Mm. As a non Christian, I resist it and count it as a burden, or I go along with it and count it as a burden, but such going along with. Compliance is not obedience. That Mm. is her her point here.
0: Right. And so, again, I think that the lesson is trying to bring out that richer point that we should love from, we should serve from the deeper motive of love. Absolutely. But whenever, just because we don't feel it at the moment doesn't mean that those deeper motives aren't there. It means that we have an abiding principle of love, regardless of fleeting feeling, that we're going to be committed loyalty as that evidence of love.
1: We do right because it is It is right and it's pleasing to God, much like in the marriage covenant relationship, right? Yes. There are things that I do for my wife, there are things she does for me that she doesn't necessarily, I come home and say, honey, could you rub my shoulders? She's not like, I've been working all day, but she does it because she knows it's pleasing to me. You understand what I'm saying? Have you heard the illustration
0: of the marriage uh, uh, where people want to change their vows just by one letter? Instead of saying, as long as you both shall live, make it as long as you both shall love. Mm-hmm. And it's like well that sounds really beautiful and poetic but what like what mean? happens when love means it's that's like right. it, that's a marriage commitment for life and love it made it a, always feel it love is a principle that's right
1: and that principle is at the core of the covenant
0: amen do we want to hit the conclusion yes. there all right
1: the entrance of sin ruptured the relationship The Creator had originally established with the human family through our first parents. Now God seeks to reestablish that same loving relationship by means of a covenant. This covenant signifies both a committed relationship between God and us, like a marriage bond, and an arrangement for saving us and bringing us into harmony with our Maker. God himself, motivated by his great love for us, is the initiator mm. of the covenant relationship. By gracious promises and gracious acts, he woos us to come into union with him. And I think that's one of the most important here, is that in all mm-hmm. of this, it's God who initiates. We don't save mm-hmm. ourselves. God is doing, undertaking all of this, and even our response to him is initiated by God.
0: That's right. It's called his covenant. My covenant. Well, a lot of great material for study this week, so we ask that the Lord will bless these Sabbath school classes. And let's dedicate ourselves to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for all this wonderful biblical material. Thank you for this great thing to study, your everlasting, your eternal covenant. Lord, please help us to understand that it's your initiation, it's your power, but it's our privilege to participate in the covenant. Help us to be joyous uh, fulfillers of the obligations you've given us to participate with you in that plan of redemption. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.